turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. We'll be looking at um, that verse and the verses that follow to the end of the chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Now I know that you probably always act spiritual. That you never act in the flesh, that you're always acting like a Christian should act, right? Or maybe that's not exactly true. Well, that's what this book's all about. That's why, we have in, that's why I've entitled this series, The Call to Be Spiritual. And in particular, the, the title of this sermon is The Gifts That Help You Get It. The Gifts That Help You Get It. Speaking of gifts... What's the most valuable gift you've ever received? As you think about that question, lots of things kind of floated into my head as I thought about it. I don't know what you're thinking about right now. Um, I suppose it depends on how old you are and what your life circumstance is and who gave you the gift. Um, the first one that came to mind, I'm sorry, I was a little kid and my mom and dad bought me a uh, big plastic helicopter where a G.I. Joe could rappel down on a ladder. I don't know why that came into my mind, but I really liked that gift. But it didn't really change my life. Some gifts do, though. Some gifts will actually change the course of somebody's life. Have you ever received one of those gifts? Have you ever given a gift like that? You know, there are people in profound need in this world, people that um, uh, their lives are, are wrapped in need. There are people that, there are young men, for example, that are raised without fathers. And so, absent uh, another male figure stepping in and giving them the gift of mentoring and telling them, you know, how to go to a job interview and what sort of things to say and how to look in a guy's eye and shake his hand firmly and you know whatever, the, whatever those sorts of things are. Sometimes somebody needs a, a, a new outfit so that they can get a job. Sometimes somebody needs a, needs a ride to get to uh, medical care. I mean, there's, there's lots of different profound ways that you can change somebody's life by just giving them uh, of yourself. Lots of gifts change people's lives. Some gifts help people get it. Whatever it is, the it that they need. And that gets me to the title of this sermon and the theme. When it comes to wisdom, only Christians really get it. And that's what we'll see here in our text. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. I'll read it aloud. <laughs> We're going to talk about this in a minute, but these words come from the very mind of God. Listen carefully. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, 
None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When it comes to wisdom... Only Christians really get it. And the way they get it is through two gifts. Two gifts of such size and value. Two gifts that are so immense they can only be described as being part of and emanating from God himself. And we'll look at those two gifts. The the, the first one, The first way that Christians get it when it comes to wisdom is because God gave them the gift of wisdom. They get it because God gave them the gift of wisdom, first of all. Some might claim, think about where we're at in this this epistle. We're we're really towards the beginning. But we've been spending a lot of time interacting with, through Paul's pen, interacting with the somebodies of that day the influential people of the world that were offering worldly philosophies, worldly wisdom. And because of that, some might claim Paul was discounting or dismissing wisdom altogether. After all, Paul has already written several negative things about wisdom up to this point. For instance, in chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul said, "'Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom.'" And then in verse 22 of that same chapter, he wrote, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Like that's something other than wisdom, somebody might think. And then chapter 2 and verse 1, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then finally in verse 5 of chapter 2 there, Paul did not want his friend's faith to rest in the wisdom of men, but rather in the power of God. So some might claim that Paul was against wisdom altogether. Throw it all away because of these sorts of statements. But that last example I just read to you in chapter 2 and verse 5, the the verse that precedes our text, it clues us in on what Paul was really against. He has been railing against wisdom up to this point, that's true, but not against all wisdom. Look at verse 6, our opening verse. 
we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We do impart wisdom, not just that brand of wisdom. So you see how he starts the text. He had been condemning the so-called wisdom of these impressive, articulate philosophers of, of the Corinthian culture. Men known for their vocabulary and their artistry and extravagant speech. Such men live in every era, though. It's not just contained in that one point in history or that one part of the world. I mean, you have to admit there's some pretty impressive thinkers in our day. As you just sort of think about the people that have accomplished much, those people that are out, are out in front, scientists and surgeons, economists and engineers, playwrights and philosophers, men's ability to analyze and research and reason and theorize, all of these sort of specialized skills, these sort of high-level um, acts of intelligence, they're, they're all, friends, gifts from God. The ability to do those things, that's a gift from God. They are examples, those men that we think of, men and women that we think of that are way out in front, that are doing great things in their, in, in their workplace, in their industries, uh, breaking ground in, in, in science, uh, fields of science and things like that. All of these things, their abilities, all of their achievements, they're examples of common grace. Do you know that phrase, common grace? It means the undeserved blessings God gives to men for the good in this life. The, not the gifts that are specific only to the church, only to believers, but those, those, those gifts of goodness that are undeserved throughout the world that God just gives for the benefit of mankind in this world. That's common grace. The, the water from rainfall, for example, the warmth of the sun, the protection from catastrophes, and the ability to think and speak and write about complicated and lofty things that will help others. These are all examples of God's common grace to mankind. But as smart and as talented as men are, apart from Christ, they can only understand this world in very limited ways, and that by the grace of God. And when God withholds his grace, man's thoughts, no matter how lofty they are, are seen to be perverted and false. But whether unsaved men attain some marginal wisdom about how this world works, like recognizing weather patterns and so predicting how we ought to plant plants and things like that, or perhaps discovering chemical compounds and how they um, cure diseases, or whether they have something downright wrong, like seeing an unborn baby as something less than a person worthy of dignity. Whatever so-called wisdom man achieves, it is limited, we're told in verse 6, to this age. Do you see it there in verse 6, the second half? 19th century theologian Charles Hodge, he put a fine point on it. Listen. I don't quote often from theologians in sermons, but I like the way that he put this. We're talking about the exalted kind of wisdom of mankind that's limited to this age because it's apart from Christ. Hodge puts it this way. 
the objection urged against Paul was that he did not teach philosophy. His answer is, philosophy cannot save me. Whatever may be its value within its own sphere and for its own ends, it is worse than useless as a substitute for the gospel. Let the dead bury the dead, but do not let them pretend to impart life. See what he does there? He says, listen, as great as men are, as great of accomplishments as, as they achieve, they only sort of work in this sphere, in this life, to the extent that they work at all. But they cannot impart eternal life. Man's wisdom, thus, is limited to this age and to the leaders of this age, the text says. And its limitation is not only with regard to its usefulness on earth. In other words, to the extent that man's wisdom is useful to us in this world, like, you know, ways of doing physical therapy for my mom or something like that. Like, those are useful in this realm, right? But they're not useful in the next, right? They're limited to this world. But not only are they limited to their usefulness on earth, but also because everything in this world will come to an end. Like there's an expiration date on the wisdom that men achieve here because this world will burn up in the judgment. And so the apostle warns his friends of putting their trust in wisdom for men who are doomed to pass away. Or as the Christian Standard Bible puts it, who are coming to nothing. So if God didn't give his people this kind of wisdom that, that we've been talking about here, what kind did he give them? Well, look at verse 7. It starts with a word of contrast. But we impart what? Do you see it there? A secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. That's the kind of wisdom Paul's for. That's the kind of wisdom that he is a, an apostle sent to, to, to publish to the world. God revealed to us a wisdom known only to himself, a secret and hidden wisdom. The truth about his purpose for creation and his plan for mankind, a wisdom that source is the very mind of God. Men in any age no matter how brilliant of leaders they may be in their field, or, or those who have figured out how to rise in the prestige and leaderships of even nations, men in any age cannot figure out heavenly wisdom. They can't discover it on them, uh, by themselves, for it is secret and hidden from them, known only to God and to those to whom he reveals it. Men don't find it, God shows it to them. You see what I mean? It doesn't matter how great you are in this world. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how accomplished you are. It doesn't matter how specialized you are, or how much you've published, or how many you know, sort of, uh, degrees that you attain, or something like this, or, or recognition. No man in this world can simply come to heavenly wisdom. God has to reveal it to them. He takes the simple and makes them mature, exposes them to divine wisdom so they get it. That's how it comes about. And this restricted knowledge 
happens. Nothing short of God's plan to recreate the world through the death of Christ. Nobody would have put that together. Nobody would have imagined it. Nobody, even if they would have imagined it, would have thought it possible. It was completely foreign to the thinking of men in this world. This restricted knowledge, his plan to redeem the creation and his people from the curse of sin and death, comes only by by him cursing his son in the world's place at the cross. Nobody would have discovered this. Paul spoke to the Ephesians of this once secret, now revealed wisdom of Christ. Listen now. This is in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul writes long sentences, so zone in here. Hang on till I get to the end of this long sentence, okay? Speaking of Christ, Paul writes this, Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah, right? But then Paul explains something about that grace. Now listen. He says, He lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, and that to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Friends, is that not glorious? That mysterious will of God He has made known to His people? That we would know His purposes? We would know the mind of God? What He wants to get done in this world and no one can stop Him? To that glorious end that all things in heaven and on earth would be united in Christ, the one who died and rose again? Glory! Think about the massive, unequaled privilege the church has to receive God's wisdom of the cross. In Christ, we've been granted access to His thinking, and that from all eternity. It's like we got to listen in on something that happened a hundred trillion years ago in the mind of God. Are you getting your mind around this at some level? The privilege, the nothing's like this. There's no honor like this. That mystery, that mystery, we're told in verse 7, was decreed not in this age. It it, it didn't come about even in Paul's age. Do you see it there in verse 7 when it came about? It was set forth before the ages. This plan to unite all of creation under Christ has always been the plan, even before there was a creation. Long before there was ever a man or an animal or a planet or a star. God had firmly planned for His Son to be the Savior of this world. It's not a wisdom for a time, but wisdom for all time. And we have been granted access to it by His grace. Christians get it because 
we've been granted access to that which is hidden from the rest of mankind. While God gives common grace to everyone in this world, as I've noted, He gives special grace only to the elect so that they will not only hear about Christ, but that they would understand it and receive it. Receive it as wisdom from God and be saved. To His people, He specifically reveals the wisdom of the gospel. That faith in Christ and in His death and resurrection leads to Christians' eventual glory, verse 7 tells us. Think about this. Think about the bigness of this mystery, friends. It started in eternity past, and it comes to true fruition, not in this age, but in the next, in glory when we will shed these bodies that are plagued with sin and we will get new resurrected bodies, bodies fit for heaven, bodies like Jesus' body, in glory. That's where the plan is heading towards. And he's told us about it so that we get it. Is that not glorious? Is that not cause for celebration this morning? While God calls some to hear and embrace the wisdom of following a Savior, though, He doesn't call everyone to have that access. To them, the cross of Christ remains a mystery that cannot be solved. No matter how hard men try to figure it out, no matter how smart they are, no matter even how seemingly open to spiritual things they are. Apart from God revealing the wisdom of the cross to them, they simply don't get it. They can't put all the pieces together. Perhaps you remember those days before you came to Christ where you just couldn't seem to put it all together. I remember those days. For I got saved at the age of 28. In fact... When Terry McIntosh down at Brian, who led me to Christ, when, when he asked me whether I thought I would go to heaven after I died, I said this, I feel like everybody around here knows something I don't know. I said those words. I expressed that very thing. Men, no matter how hard they try, they, they simply don't get it. They can't piece it together. And it's obvious when they don't. For, for they cannot contain their hatred for Christ as seen in those who crucified him, in verse 9. And men in this age that don't get it, that reject Jesus, they're as guilty as the ones who crucified him. You see, God's under no obligation to save. You get that, right? He's under no obligation to save, no obligation to leave, lead his enemies away from ignorance and unbelief. He's under no obligation to reveal specifically the wisdom of the cross to anyone. He is obliged to no one, but he is merciful. He is merciful. It's a hard thing to think about God not being under obligation to save everyone. But it, it has always been so. The Father has prepared this wisdom, this hidden plan, not for everyone, but for those who love Him. 
for those whom the Father has elected to believe, for those whom he predestined to be adopted and love eternally. Ephesians chapter 1, the beginning of that very long sentence that I didn't read, says as much. For the rest of the world, for those who reject him, that, that, that wisdom remains hidden, tragically. Paul's Old Testament quote there in verse 9, it's, it's not actually a quote of any particular text. It appears to be a mashup of, of, of truths from Isaiah's prophecy, saying as much. It's, not, it, it, it's like when Jesus answers the question of his disciples why he teaches in parables. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11, Jesus said this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For it's a gift from God, friends. He gives it to whomever he will. But when he does give it to us, this hidden wisdom, when he makes the secret will of God known to us, we get it. But only because he gives us that gift. His grace towards us who believe is all the more praiseworthy, knowing that he doesn't open everyone's eyes to the truth of who Christ is. He doesn't reveal his truth to everyone in a way where they get it. You thought about that? Yes, when it comes to wisdom, only Christians really get it. They get it, first of all, because God reveals his secret wisdom in a way that they can comprehend it. But how is it that Christians are exposed to the wisdom of the cross and believe, while others are exposed to the wisdom of the cross and don't believe? How is it that that takes place like that? How is it that I'm a Christian, I heard the gospel and believed, but my friend who heard the gospel doesn't believe? How is that true? Well, it leads us to the second gift of God. The gift that helps us get it, that makes, us, makes it possible for us to be saved, makes it possible for us to both hear the gospel and desire it. Not only does he give Christians mysterious divine wisdom found in Christ's sacrifice, but God also gives us his spirit. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, why did you and I believe the gospel and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior? Why did we get it when so many of our loved ones didn't? It's found in verse 10 there. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Christians don't come to faith because they are special or they're more serious or more spiritual or something like that. It's not because they're more intelligent. It's not because they're somebodies. They come to faith because God gives them access to his plan, wrapped in mystery in the cross of his son, and then gives them his spirit to, to enable them to understand what they could not otherwise. Without the Spirit, the gospel of Christ might as well be in Klingon. Because none of us would understand it. But with the Spirit, clarity, comprehension, knowledge comes to us. Only God the Spirit is equipped to do this miraculous work 
only the Spirit can bring this knowledge to man. Only He has the requisite understanding, the requisite mind, and the requisite power in order to do so. For He has perfect, intimate understanding of the wisdom of Christ being sent into this world. For that eternal plan flowing from the mind of God is His plan too, for the Spirit Himself is God. Notice Paul's reasoning in the second half of verse 10 there. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, from which this mystery comes. Yes, the Spirit knows the deep truths and the intricacies of men's lives and the grand sweeps of human history that bring it to pass. No part of divine wisdom is hidden from Him. He knows it all down to every little corner, every little detail. He knows it all completely and has always known it completely. The Spirit knows the wisdom of men following Christ and, and, and how to bring sinners to repent and to submit to it. And then we have this analogy given. The Spirit is like our spirit to help us understand this. He knows God's thinking as we know our own thinking. We know, what we, think about, we know what we think about someone or about a difficult decision we need to make. We examine our thinking, don't we? Sometimes we obsess over it. We look at things from different angles and we turn it around and we second-guess ourselves and we bounce things off other people and see if we've got it right. We, we think about things from every different way we can think about it. We, we know how we, are, we arrived at conclusions we've reached. We know the reasons why we make decisions. We know our own thinking. And this is analogous to the Spirit's detailed understanding of God's thinking. He knows it all like we know our own thinking. And so He he has the power, the ability to bring us into the know so that we get it. So that we get God's wise and mysterious thoughts about why we're here, and what the future holds, and what our mission is. And thus the Spirit is more than able to bring us a spiritual understanding of the beauty and necessity of Christ and of the inheritance that's ours in glory Verse 12, we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. An apt summary of the gift of the spirit. When it comes to wisdom, only Christians really get it, and we get it because the spirit has been given to us. In fact, in the kindness of the Father, when the spirit comes to live within his people, they become new creatures. And so you notice the language used in the second half of the text. Natural people become spiritual people when they receive the Spirit. You can see that like in verses 14 through 15. Now let's make sure we understand these terms. Natural men are those dead in their sins and far from God and his thoughts. Those who don't have the capacity to understand the goodness of the gospel when it's presented to them. That's natural man. That's just how we're born into this world. Dead in sin. Unable to understand God's wisdom. 
They don't have the spirit of God, rather the spirit of the world. The spirit of slavery and the spirit of fear and the spirit of delusion. But spiritual men, those to whom God has given the Holy Spirit, they have been awakened to the things of God. Spiritual men are able to do things no one thought possible, no one could have ever imagined. The the rest of this text speaks of these things. First, spiritual men are able to share God's incredible wisdom to others by the Spirit's power. Not only do they understand it themselves, they're able to hold it out and explain it to others. Look at verse 12. 12 into 13. I'm going to read this from the Christian Standard Bible. Now we have received the Spirit so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We've already talked about that. Now he says, we also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. This is an incredible reality. Not only has the Spirit taught us to understand God's hidden wisdom, but enabled us to share it with other people, an agent of God, as if we were sent from heaven to share this wisdom. God's people have been given God's wisdom and his spirit. It's incredible. And they are so empowered then to bring his wisdom to others. And just as the good news and the Spirit were given to us, God employs us to bring them to still others, to our friends, to the nations even. But He doesn't leave us to ourselves. The Spirit teaches us these deep truths in God's mind and helps us to interpret them and make connections for others so that the Spirit will breathe spiritual life into them too. Secondly, spiritual people are able to discern the world around them through the lens of God's truth. Natural men reject spiritual truth, and so they have no way of rightly judging anything. They can't judge Christians' motives or what they're saying or really anything rightly. It's not that Christians know everything, but we do have the mind of Christ, we're told. And that is a mind-blowing truth. Being united to Jesus by faith grants us access to the way he thinks. The world doesn't have that access, and so they don't judge anything rightly. But Christians can judge everything rightly because they have access to the way God thinks. When it comes to wisdom, only Christians really get it. They get it because God gives them his mysterious and previously hidden wisdom in Jesus, and they get it because God gives, him, gives them his spirit so that they may understand that wisdom and both be saved by it and also hold it out to others and also make sense of the world they live in. It's incredible. Maybe you're thinking of a lot of applications of this. I have three for you. If you're a Christian, it's going to be profound. Buckle up. If you're a Christian, you need to act like one. 
That's your first application. If you've been granted access to the wisdom of God and, and the Spirit has been given to you so that you can understand that wisdom and you can apply that wisdom to the world that you live in and all the situations that you have, then, then act like it. Now, I know that's like really, really simplistic, but pray to God that he will give you the ability to see your life as if you have access to his mind. And that will make a profound difference not only in your joy in this life, but also in your witness to other people. For the hidden things of God have not been made known to everyone, and so they can't apply it to the way they live their life or the way they see things in, in this life. But you do, Christian friend. So if you've been granted access to the wisdom of God and the Spirit to help you receive that wisdom, then apply it and ask him for his help to do so. Secondly, if you're a Christian, you have been given access to how God thinks. Being united to Christ by faith means you have access to Christ's mind, and it's cause for humble thanksgiving. How's that for a second application? Be thankful. Exalt in God today. Lift up praises to him. It's an astounding thing that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you and that God says, let me tell you how I think about things. Let me show you even the depths of my mind so that you might be united, you might be part of the family of God, not just in name only, but even in how we think, the Trinity that is. Finally, are you taking seriously your responsibility to help others connect the dots about how the cross of Christ is good news for them? It's right in the text, this application. We've received these things, and so we speak. And the Spirit not only gives us understanding of the gospel, but gives us an ability to explain it to other people to help them to get it, help them to see it. Are you taking that seriously? Is that part of your Christian life? Are you talking to people about Jesus? We need to be doing this. We need to be doing it. Being charitable and helping people break free from the hardships of their living situation or their personal struggles can change the course of their lives. And doing so is admirable, it's good, and it, it even reflects what God has done for us and his son. When it comes to wisdom, only Christians really get it, but they get it because he lavishes us with gifts that change the course of our lives. The gifts God has given us, his people, he has given us his wisdom and his spirit. Eternities now different for us. How will you live a life worthy of such love? What alterations do you need to make in your life to line you up to look like God's people that have been given such gifts? What is the Spirit of Christ calling you to do today? How does he want you to serve others? Take a few moments of quiet reflection over these things, friends.